This is The Premise, and I'm your host, Jennifer. Chad Thompson. De- no, Chad I, Thompson's the no, host. I'm the host. <laughs> I'm Jennifer Thompson. And I'm Chad Thompson, the host. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Premise. Today, Chad and I have the pleasure of speaking with Dan and Sandy Smith of Smith Publicity, one of the few book publicity firms to market both traditional and self-published titles. Founded by Dan Smith in 1997, Smith Publicity has been doing innovative work and staying ahead of the curve in this ever-dynamic, constantly evolving industry that is publishing. Dan and Sandy... Welcome to The Premise. Hello, thank you. Yeah. It's wonderful to be here with you both. Well, it's so good to have you here. Um, we just appreciate Smith Publicity and all the work you have done for us and our clients. And I'm excited to kind of dig into, you know, your origin story. I mean, Dan, you're the founder and CEO of Smith Publicity. Correct. And correct. do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got started? Sure. I, I kind of, it, um, I had never had any intention of being a publicist or starting a book publicity firm ever. So I kind of just <laughs> fell into it. I, and when I got out of college, I, my first job was repossessing cars. Then I was oh, wow. unemployed, yeah, I was unemployed for a period of time and, um, and got another job in marketing. And then I, then I ended up working at a university. I had a pretty good administrative job at a university in New Jersey. And um, I was there for seven years, I think. And there was a, my, I was, I was basically assistant dean of students and the dean of students left. And I was, I'd, I had already, already done her job and um, was right in line to take it. And then, I mean, to be promoted and I didn't get promoted. And so I said, you know, I'm, there's nowhere to move. It's not like a giant company. There's nowhere else for me to move. So uh, I had started writing on the side uh, for a publication that um, is still online, I believe, Radio TV Interview Report. Um, it used to be very popular. It was like an 88-page publication that was mailed to radio and TV producers all over the country. Hmm. Uh, and I, I can't remember how I heard about it, but I've always been a good writer, and I think they might have had an ad somewhere, and I saw it. So I started writing ads for Radio TV Interview Report, and... Uh, on the side, I would come home from um, lunch at the university, and I'd write a couple ads, and then I'd come home um, at the end of at, at the end of the day, and then write ads until two in the morning. I, I probably wrote two thousand of them, um, and a lot of those were just when I was just doing it on the side. And they almost all the people who advertise, and they're authors. So we fast forward, yeah, yeah, and so along the way, uh, one of the our, my very first client was running an ad in RTIR, and he asked me if I would do publicity for his book. Hmm. And I said, oh, I think I can do that. I'll, I'll learn. <laughs> I'll <laughs> figure that out, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll figure it out. You know, I, I learned a lot from writing for RTIR, um, and I learned a lot about authors and everything. And um, so I said, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And uh, the first retainer was $400 a month. <laughs> so, and that was for a full-blown campaign so um, wow wow yeah. times have changed <laughs> yeah and, and it's, it's interesting i had my my I, a um 
a ledger, an actual ledger notebook that I used to keep track of my income. And and like in the very first month, it was you know four hundred dollars, and then second month seven hundred dollars. But it's really interesting to look back at that and see how um, things steadily grew. So yeah. um, so I decided to to cash in what retirement I had at, at the university, and I went out on my own. Mm. Um, started with one client. I had a small bedroom office, and hmm. um, that's how it started. And I, he was the first one. His name is Arnie Nuremberg. He's still my favorite, and we still stay in touch. Um, Cool. But uh, yeah, he was he started it all. And then what happened is Arnie then referred someone else to me. He referred his cousin to me who was a traditionally published author. Hmm. And then things just started going from there. So that's, that's uh, cool. Pretty much how it happened. And those I mean, those were pretty early days for, you know, self publishing and, and tapping into the media and marketing, you know, traditional marketing in general. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, maybe some of your favorite memories and some of the ways that you blazed a new trail in the publicity world in traditional what was otherwise, you know, a traditional space? Yeah, and I I, I, re- I was recently talking with some of my um staff and in, in, in Marissa, one of our vice presidents, said that how, I never thought of it, how interesting it is that, you know, I started a book publicity firm, but I never worked at a publisher. I never, you know, I, I came, you know, out, n- n- nothing at all related to publishing or publicity. So, um, you know, I hadn't really uh, thought of it that way. Um, I, I think what, what set Smith Publicity apart from the beginning was just me. And then as we grew, is as you alluded to in the intro, um, I've always worked, we've always worked uh, with both traditional and self-published authors. And um, we've always, you know, the, the very early stages uh, when I started, um, uh, digital, the digital revolution, if you will, was just getting going. Mm-hmm. And print on demand was just starting. Right. And so that opened the doors for, you know, a, so many more authors that uh, otherwise wouldn't have a book out there. And so I got in at a good time. I was, was fortunate that when, when I started the publicity firm that um, the print on demand was just getting going and there were so many authors out there looking for help. A lot of them, you know, I, I, I say that uh, self-publishing is the best thing that ever happened to publishing and it's also sometimes the worst thing that ever happened to publishing because, <laughs> you know, the fact that anybody can... Uh, can write a book is wonderful, mm. but not everybody writes good books. So sure. <laughs> it's a. Uh, um, but we, I, and to this day, you know, we have, you know, we have relations with a lot of, you know, publishers and some of the the major houses, and and I always tell my staff that way. I never want to forget about the independently published author because that's that's where we cut our teeth, and um, yeah, they made it all happen. Did you ever worry? I mean, were you hesitant to represent self-published authors because you worried that maybe the media wouldn't take you or the authors seriously? Not. I, it was just a reality because unlike now, there was a stigma, a, a big mm-hmm. stigma against self-published authors. Um, so I didn't worry about it. I learned how to work around it um, and to, to work around that uh, to to diminish the impact of that of that uh, stigma for example one of probably my first he was in the first 10 clients was a self-published author print-on-demand author from one of the new print-on-demand companies that that had just started and he wrote a um a novel kind of like a 
Godfather, Goodfellas kind of story. And anyway, um, it was a it was a decent book, and it but it kind of looked self published. But um, obviously, if I if I approached a New York you know book reviewer at that right at that moment, they would have just laughed and said, you know, you're out of your mind. Right. But I ended up getting him almost a half page feature story in the New York Times because mm. I went around the fact that the book was self published, and I just positioned him as this a man with an encyclopedic knowledge of the mafia and he could talk about all the language and the lingo and the sopranos were i think starting at that time so <laughs> i tied into that ended up like i said almost a half page story and they mentioned his book so it was great publicity so i would find you know ways to work around it um that stigma that was very significant then i wonder like because you didn't come from the traditional publishing industry in the background you didn't know to be wary or to think this isn't the way you do things like to me i wonder if like that that's why you were so successful is because you're like oh okay well we'll just go through this door if that one's not open you know like you didn't you didn't know to 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 worry that it wouldn't work i guess i I think that's a good point and um because i came again from from nowhere related to anything in this business um I came at it with just, as you said, with just a, a, a fresh set of eyes, if you will, rather than mm-hmm. somebody who came from a internal publicity department at, you know, at a publisher and already it's kind of set in their ways and they do things a certain way. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that limitation and I would do things um, that no other publicist would do. And, right. um, and I just thought, well, I, I'm going to get coverage from my clients. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to do it. And if it's um, unorthodox, um, I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just wanted to make some good things happen for those authors. And, um, but that's a great point. I think that coming, um, from outside of the industry, uh, I think was a big plus and this, it sounds strange in a way, but in my case, it was a big plus because I just looked at things differently. I did, I did things, unorthodox things. I did some strange things. I did, you know, whatever <laughs> we, you know, you know, I, we still use the saying, like, whatever it takes is what I, I say still say that it's on the staff, and um, that's what I did. Whatever it took, I would get authors in the in the news. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I I love that, you know, you managed to get your author into the New York Times, but you did it by pointing out the author. You know, exactly. a lot of authors forget this. They think, mm-hmm. oh, it's all about my book. And I always try and tell them, well, listen, you wrote the book. You did a ton of research. Like, you're the expert. You know, that's such a cool angle to take, and it worked. Tell us um, how you pitched that. Yeah, and it's it's and Sandy, and we all deal with this every day, especially with um, nonfiction. Uh, fiction's a bit different, but for nonfiction, we tell authors many times right off the bat that, you know, yeah, your book is, we're going to promote your book, but we need you. You're the, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. the expert on this topic and we're going to promote you just as much as the book. Right. Uh, and the book kind of comes along for the ride. And then we, we also developed, you know, I coined the term book as a business card for business authors. Um, the book is just a calling card and they're, they're, we're really using their expertise just to help their business and become yeah. part of their marketing arm. And, and Sandy, you can talk a little more about how that developed thing also. I think. Sure. The, one great example working with Dan, and I have to say, I started working with him 15, 16 years ago now. Mm. And the company had 
three people, two people. Wow. Um, and yeah. it was really exciting because I came from a kind of a corporate marketing background, marketing communications. And I always was obsessed with books as on a passion, personal passion. Mm. And when I saw this ad that said, you know, book publicist, um, you know, looking <laughs> for application, I'm like, I've never heard of a book publicist, but let me, you know, see what this is all about. And so, and, and starting to work with Dan, he could write Jennifer so that you wanted to read any book that he wrote about. His writing was <laughs> jaw dropping. Mm. And the other, th the other thing about Dan right away, my first client um, was Norman Edmonds and he was the founder of um, Edmund Scientific, who yep. is a yeah. household name, household name in engineering, and I buy some stuff from them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, and and I have his. I actually have his book um, on my lap because it it was my very first book. I worked with Dan, and the biggest educational and intellectual blunder in history. Well, I had I pitched, got him his first radio interview, and he was an older gentleman. And he just wasn't keeping up with the questions. And they basically laughed at him and hung up. Mm. I called Dan and my heart was broken. Dan mm. picked up the phone, called the producers and said, you will never treat one of my clients or any other author like this again. It was absolutely disgraceful. That's when I knew that this company was different. Like mm. he he cared about the the author and he didn't care he didn't care about Smith publicity he cared that this gentleman who is so respected and it, it had the credentials to speak was just not it, it was just it was just painful and Dan's mm. reaction to that said a lot about Dan and his company but one of the examples that how Dan got a novelist in um, a major business media this gentleman came to me, um, wrote a book, and you can go, th go through the times. It's the next Harry Potter. It's the next Da Vinci Code. You can, we, you know, we have all those depending on what what year we're talking about, right? Right. So it was the next Da Vinci Code, and uh, he, he this this gentleman was a um, I think a government official working in South America. So yep, get the book out there. But he had a personal passion in fishing the Amazon. So Dan took that one nugget on our very extensive author questionnaire, pitched that out, and he got a beautiful feature. And I don't know if it was Forbes Inc. Fast Company for exotic vacation destination ideas. And he was quoted about fishing, author of this book, which is an, kind of an action adventure mystery, mystery book. And that is an example of how um, Dan got this self-published, completely no-name <laughs> author, this wonderful national um, coverage in this in this um, media outlet. So, so that's an example. And and he's right at the beginning, especially we were we we called we're not book snobs, meaning we didn't look at the publisher imprint. We looked right. at the authors. We looked at the author's bio. Mm -hmm. right. That that to us, along with a great book cover, and that's why we like sending them over to good people, ah. <laughs> good help, um, because people helps. people mm -hmm. do judge a book by its cover. It's something I say every day as well. Indeed. But we really look at the author's background, the author's credentials. That's what we need, um, because I tell people every day, um, no <clears throat> one cares that you wrote a book. 
Nobody. There are thousands that come out every day in the United States alone. But they care about maybe your story, your research, mm -hmm. your background. Mm -hmm. And for nonfiction, that aha moment, that advice, what solutions are you going to offer? That's yeah. more important than who published your book. And that's something that Dan said from, from day one. Let's be creative. Let's, let's you know, look outside the box here. Yeah, there's you know, Publishers Weekly and Kirkus and Forward and all those great places. But that's just one small part of the media that we can really look at. Let's look at, let's look at, you know, what this author can talk about inside the book or outside the book, because we have to find what the media is interested in. And then that's where the magic can happen. And back in those early days when, you know, Dan was working with, oh my goodness, didn't someone, want, uh, you, you had a real ghost. He had um, oh a, a, yeah. a strip, a stripper who would send him <laughs> Cash. Em envelopes of cash. <laughs> we won't ask why. No, we will. Why? Because <laughs> no, that, that's how she. she um, that's how she paid um, her monthly. Her, that, that, yeah, that's how she met her bills and uh, based on her job. So, uh, yeah, there was some really, really um, interesting people I worked with early on. Um, and not all of them had great books, but I, you know, I needed to. to make some money. And as long as I felt I could do good things for them, I would, I would take them on. And um, I don't know if you want to hear a couple of the strangers. We, um, well, I do. Actually, uh -huh. I have a list. It's funny, you really sure. transitioned well, we didn't plan this, folks. I, I got a <laughs> list from one of your team members who shall remain nameless, a UFO abductee, an alien, Jesus Christ, Tsar Nicholas, the third of Russia, a real ghost, and a couple others. That is a pretty esteemed list right I know, there. right? That's what I said. I was like, okay, well, this is perfect. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there, there's, there's, there's so many um, others too. But, you know, it, the, the one that you mentioned, um, Jesus Christ, was, um, was a young guy who had, you know, self-published his book and it was called I Am the Master. You I said to get well. out of carpentry? Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> He's like, I think and, I'll try publishing. Um, and I was talking to him, and his name was uh, John. And um, he believed he was the reincarnation of Jesus. Mm. And I said, I, I'm not going to judge you. Okay. <laughs> <That's> okay. <right. laughs> you, know, you believe that? You know, uh, how do I know you're Why wrong? Not? I mean, you could be. <laughs> right? That's so, a good point. And um, but the, the, the really funny thing about that was uh, in terms of that we were promoting him, and it was going okay. I don't remember all the things we got, but he called me one day. And he said, Dan, I want to do kind of a, um, a book event. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. And it, the, the short of it is that he wanted to put himself on a cross in the Arizona desert. Oh, my and, God. Like a real cross. <laughs> and he wanted me to get the media there. But believe it or not, he wanted the, the nails to be pounded through his hands and feet. Wow. Well, was, as long as he was he, providing wine. <laughs> he, I mean, oh he, was going, he was going to do that. And I said, John, that's not a good idea. It's just not going to end well. So, um, <laughs> it didn't end well. you know how this ends. You've right. done it yeah. once, right? Yeah. Yes. So, um, yes. that, you know, that's one example. A lot of UFO people, um, all kinds of uh, abductees, and then someone, um, a fellow named, uh, he passed away, Adrian Devere, I believe his name was. And he had video of um, 
of himself uh, d- doing healing with aliens in, in rooms. And you would see what he looked like aliens and, and it looked real. I don't know how the, I don't know how he's doing it. I don't know what was going on, but it was pretty cool. <laughs> That's all I knew. I was like, so, you know, we had this guy, um, I was able to, you know, get some video out there. And even if the, you know, he, I told him people are going to make, you know, make fun of you and they're going to, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we had a, we, it went well, it went great. And, um, the, the fellow I mentioned first, Arnie Nuremberg, who, um, again, is, will be always be my favorite. Um, he, where I really got my big break, so to speak, in terms of breaking through to, to big broadcast media is I was talking with, or he was, he was on the cover of people before he got to me because he was considered the world's leading um, authority on road rage. Mm. He's, a psych- he's a psychologist. Mm, um, okay. <laughs> and, he came, and, he, he, and that was prior to me and he was on the cover. And he, so he was a well-known guy in those in certain circles. And he came to me um, from RTIR and he was had a series of little books that he wanted to get out there and get some, uh, you know, some attention for. And so uh, I'm talking to him one evening and I'll never forget it. And, and uh, just talking about his practice and just kind of and just kind of, you know, shooting the breeze and just um, nothing serious. And he said, yeah. And I said, I. I on Monday, I've got to get that, that coffin in my office because I've got to do that treatment. Um, and, and then he just kept, and then he kept going. And he said, what, are you, what are you doing this weekend, Dan? I was like, wait, Arnie, back up, back up. Yeah, back like, up. wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, you know, back that up. I said, you coffin in your office? And he said, yeah. So the, he went on to explain that um, he called, um, it was, if a, teenager is being disrespectful he would do this coffin treatment if the teenager is being disrespectful to his or her parents getting in trouble and you know not listening to them he had this treatment where he would bring the kid up to the coffin and say envision your mom or dad in this coffin and how sad you would be Mm. and you know how regretful you would be um and so I was fascinated by it. So I got a press release out and said, the headline was coffin treatment for wayward teens. And <laughs> it just exploded. <laughs> I mean, my phone was going crazy. I it ended up, he was on uh, the Montel show. Wow. I believe he was on uh, Sally, Jesse Raphael. It, hmm. it just went crazy. But the first, when um, the producer for the Montel show called, um, he said, "This is this is great." It's like, well, you know, we want we want to have him. We want to get him first. And he said, "I just have a question for you. Like, um, well, does he put people in the coffin?" And and he didn't. Um, mm. You know, he would just have people envi- envision their parents in the coffin. But he asked me, like, you know, if does he put if he puts people in the coffin? He said, "This is a, a done deal." And I'm I'm, so I'm thinking <laughs> and I'm thinking. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, I'm thinking, and I said, um, yeah, he does. He does do that. So so we got it set up. I immediately got on the phone with Arnie. I said, Arnie, you're going to have to stick to, uh, stick somebody in this coffin when you go on the Montel show. I said, I know you don't do that. I said, I hope you're not mad at me. He said, oh, no, that's fine. We'll, we'll put someone in the coffin. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, he ended up doing uh, some um, a lot of national TV and um, – and then he also wanted, he was trying to get me involved in a business selling coffins as beds for like other gothic teens and stuff. And I almost did it, but um, <laughs> I, I said, 
I said, Arnie, they, they have to have air holes, you know, they've been closed, right. there's nobody's going to be able to breathe. Right. And, yeah. But I was actually seriously considering it. And I said, but Arnie, these things weigh a ton, shipping and ended up not happening. But um, there's a lot, a lot of logistics involved in If that. you could figure out like an Ikea flat pack kind of situation, <laughs> you might have had idea. something. Yeah. Great idea, Chad. So, yes. Make them build so, it at home. Um, <laughs> build your own coffin. Yeah. yeah. And, and one, one other quick, real quick example of an early one was a lady, woman named Sri Shanti Adiva Duda. And she was also known as Thunderbird Woman. And she was the huh. leader of, of basically a a cult for the most part and, her name uh, sounds like she should be the leader of a cult say it yeah. again yeah. Sri Shanti adiva duda wow she, an, she ended up changing she ended up changing it but that's what it was then but um she could levitate and <laughs> i saw her levitate so <laughs> are you know. sure I mean, it I, wasn't one of those things where they stand yeah. just right and like <laughs> it, it looks like they're levitating but they're actually on their their heel uh, you've seen that right up on their, absolutely their, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure it was, that. <laughs> it was slight I'm sure of feet it was, i'm sure it was that but you know it, it looked real so hey, cool she can levitate. let's do it yeah um yeah and uh the other well, i i can go on and on with uh <laughs> one other real quick one because uh, there's so many and uh, there was a through Arnie, actually, um, he and his office, these people were, had a business and they made videotapes and they were adult videotapes. But the, the kicker is he when I when he referred me to them and I was talking to them, what they did was mainly produce balloon fetish videos for men. So it would be a woman Boy, that's specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it'd be it'd be a woman, not even necessarily, usually not even naked, maybe topless or something, and just bouncing on a balloon. And there were su- there were subgroups of these of this fetish. You had um, you had the people they would call it the, the poppers, the inflators, and they all like to see certain things. Some people just like to see a woman, you know, blowing up the balloon. Other people like to see her pop it. So of course, when I learned about this, I said, like, "This is awesome! <laughs> I'm going to have a field day with this thing." <laughs> and um, I was so excited, and um, it's just, it, it was going to be great. And um, ended up getting around Howard Stern, and uh, he had at that time he had this. He, she was on the radio, but also he had a Saturday night TV show for a while. Um, I forget what network it was on, but she was on there as well. I mean, for someone like Stern, you know, when you say you know balloon fetish, it's you know you knew it was going to go. And I, and also at that time it was. I, <laughs> A thing called wireless flash news, and if and I'm dating myself here because I'm sure none of you have heard of it, but uh, it's still a version of it around. But all they dealt with was crazy stories and weird stories. So I got I got it distributed through there, and he was on, you know, like I don't know how many hundred interviews on radio. So um, yeah, balloon fetish and coffins and um, I could go <laughs> aliens I could go on and, on, 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 on. yeah, oh, aliens, yeah. yeah. Aliens. It's no. just sad that that this existed, that this happened before the internet, right? Yeah, <laughs> think how that would have blown up. Social sharing sites, right? Uh huh. Oh exactly. yeah, like I, I could, I could, you know, show a video of that woman levitating. I could do the balloon thing, and oh yeah, it would be awesome. But yeah, um, yeah, and, and this, and this really all happened before I started. So these were all good stories, you know, back in the mid 
2005. Well, not, not, <laughs> not even that. These are most of these are the very, very like, early 90s. people. This is in the 90s. 97, 98. Yeah. yeah. So what yeah. you're saying is yeah. you, you came is on in the. You cleaned it up, Sandy. You cleaned it up and I, gave I, it a more I, reputable yeah. atmosphere. I, I, you know, yes. Yes, I. <laughs> what, 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 was odd, what was odd? It was in the very, very early couple of years. And I just, I needed to make money and I could do the good things for these people. And they were neat people. They're interesting people. I loved it. But totally. it was very early on. Um, and uh, and then, but slowly, you know, getting away from uh, from that. But what was, what was weird is these people would come to me. And mm. like, uh, and there are other publicists out there, of course. But for some reason, these people with these very strange stories would, um, would just gra- <laughs> gravitate to me. I don't know why. But... Uh, um, so it was it was all, it was all a lot of fun with, and it slowly, obviously, as we, as it started growing, um, got away from, uh, got much more selective with the kind of authors I'd take on, and uh, but it was a lot of fun, and they were they were good people, and I, I always thank them in my in mind, and I have gratitude for them because they they helped me get started. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm guessing they came to you because you didn't just immediately dismiss them, yeah. right? Yeah. Like you would actually listen well, to their stories, listen to what they have to tell, and that was probably a rarity in your business at that point in time. You're you're exactly right. A lot of uh, the majority would come to me to tell me, you know, I just, you know, I've been talked to nine different firms or nine different publicists, and you know, uh, you're probably going to say the same thing, but you know, they just laugh at me. They want nothing to do with me, and I said, well, tell me your story, and then if it was good, then I say, sure, let's do something. And there's an angle, um, right? Yeah, if there was an angle there, I'd take it. And um, and as long as I, you know, I never just took people's money. I, I wanted to make sure if I could get them, we still use the saying, we make good things happen for authors. If I could make good things happen for them, and, um, and I was confident about that, then I would take them on. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, again, I, I I thank those people. They'll always be dear to me because, uh, you know, we wouldn't be on this podcast now, I guess, if it wasn't for them. So Right. <laughs> Yeah, and and part of the next level from there were authors who had very kind of um, niche books, and mm. and and Dan would actually talk to them and listen to them, and and and, and I tell you, you know, obviously Dan and I are married. He can't remember a grocery list, but he can remember names from you know twenty three right. years ago of people. But That's true. Uh, but the one, like one of them, like kind of the next evolution, was a gentleman who was an expert at um, negotiating tax um, bills. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, and and so tell so um, you know that's kind of the tell them like the good thing that you made happen for this guy. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember his name. I, I'm disappointed. I can't remember that name from 22 years ago. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he he wrote a book. It was a nice little book. It was self-published, but it was it was good. And it was about um, uh, if you're in tax trouble, uh, realistic and legal things you could do to um, to solve and get out of the problem. So anyway, um, I it didn't it wasn't a great looking book, but he had credentials. He was a tax attorney, and it was a pretty I thought a topic I could do something with. So anyway, I I said started setting up interviews for him. And um, he would do anything and he would do any, it could be a 500 watt, you know, radio station run from somebody's basement in South Dakota. He'd do it. And all my authors would, because I told him, do whatever comes your way. We still pretty much say that. Um, 
But he was doing one, an interview literally in, I think it was in South Dakota actually, and a tiny, tiny station. It might have been 250 watts. I mean, it was, it was probably just broadcast like it for two square miles. I mean, it was pathetic. But so he went on there and he did the interview on this tiny, tiny station. And then the next day he gets a call because someone happened to be driving in that small area where this broadcast went. He, w he was in multi-million dollar trouble with the IRS and happened to hear him at that time on that radio station in the middle of nowhere. And my client ended up making, I think, $800,000 from wow. that one interview. That rinky-dink, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was it, I, I thought for sure you were going to say the person that called him was Wesley Snipes. <laughs> <laughs> or Willie, Willie Nelson. Nelson. <laughs> yeah, or Willie Nelson. Yeah. Was, it, but, was his name Alexander Howard? <laughs> no, I. the author's name? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that wasn't um, it. I, rem I do remember when there was a book out there during that time that was all about how to get out of trouble with the IRS, but maybe there was more than yeah. one. But that, that it, was just a, 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 go, go ahead, Sandy. No, there's just an example of, you know, kind of using your book as a business card, you know, using right, your book right. as your, you know, to showcase your, your, give you some credibility, your credentials. And these authors, and we still hear from them today, book sales are always welcomed, but that's not how they're that measuring wasn't actually success. The point. Yeah, right. That's right. not the point. The point is they're using this to network, to build their business, to speak, to, to do more writing, um, to... Um, to network. And that was one of those early examples that we were able to showcase to other people of mm. new authors, like this is how it can work for you. Is there guarantees? No, but this is, you know, that was like that, that kind of big aha moment, um, way back when of um, using your book to um, help you build your, your platform and your expertise and visibility. And you yeah, feel that's I, I, the case I, across fiction and nonfiction? I wouldn't say so much with fiction. I don't, what, what do you think, Sandy? Um, with fiction, it, it's, a, it's a little different because people, book sales really are important to fiction because unless, again, we go, when we talk to authors, we said, you know, why did you write this book? What kind of research went into it? How does it impact your, your own story? And sometimes people write a fiction book um, because they're they're trying to inspire others. There's a there's kind of a message in there, or they did a lot of deep research on, say, domestic violence because it happened in, to them or their family, and they wove into the story and they're using it kind of for therapy and writing and helping others, for example. So that's an example of where we can pitch outside of say book reviewers and really talking about say domestic violence. Um, so it really depends on the goals of the book, but that kind of using it for a platform is much more suited to a, a nonfiction expert. But when that kind of expert can, can turn that expertise into a narrative and fiction that can work as well. Hmm. Would you be able to, you know, if you were to look at your client base, typically, how much mm -hmm. is nonfiction and how much is fiction? I would say our latest statistics, probably 60%, maybe closer to 70 is um, nonfiction and, you know, 30 or so percent fiction. And one mm. of the reasons for that is the longevity of a nonfiction client. A sure. fiction client 
typically is a, a much shorter publicity um, shelf life. Um, we might be working with them, like the longest we might work with them is over a six month period if we're doing advanced reader copies galleys. And then we do a little pause and then really hit the ground running before the pub date and run a little bit after. So it might span six months, uh, but it's not six full time months. Where mm. a nonfiction author, we've had authors that have been with us since 2012, and they keep wow. going. Yeah. Because they, they're on their third, fourth book with us, and right. they're full-time, then they might go part-time, they might take a summer off. Some have been with us on full retainer for three, four, five years, because we keep getting them media coverage that is building their their company, their brand, and it's, it's working for them as part of their business plan. So that's that's part of the reason, too, and, and, and because of any one snapshot um, the business or that you know nonfiction experts um, they just they just stay with us much longer yeah. and I, th I think the this kind of a, an author author centric focus in in many cases w was different at that time and, and I think it still separates us um, a bit from from other agencies out there um, and with fiction it's interesting we um, um, with some fiction, uh, and say, do you know uh, Julianne Osborne McKnight? Um, oh yes. She was uh, traditionally published by a major publisher. As if I, and if you're somehow listening, Julian, uh, we love you. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, she had a series of books that she keeps coming back to us. Um, they're novels, and they're all based on on Celtic and Irish lore and things like that. But she comes back to us because you know she'll have a book. Um, coming out and uh, publisher will do a little bit of publicity but then we we start positioning her as this great really entertaining lady who can who can talk about irish folk and all these different things so, so that's a case of a fiction author and there's many others that that, that come back to us and oh, sure. um so that's just another example of how uh, that author author centric focus in many cases um as it can work quite well I'd, I'd like to talk about the journey that an author can expect, but I'm going to throw a wrench in real quick. And mm -hmm. I want to talk about you two, because <laughs> you, you, Sandy mentioned a little earlier that, you know, you two are married. Um, we yeah. guess that you have the same last name, although that With doesn't Smith. necessarily mean anything. Yeah. Right? You call it Smith publicity, not Smith's. That's publicity. true. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. yeah. Good point. I, tell us a little bit about oh. your romance and how you two oh, came to fall gosh. in love. It's a well, really, I, I, it's a really bad Sunday I, night movie. I, it I just, is. I it is. There. <laughs> it we is. like and bad I, Sunday night movies. Oh, and it's I'll bad. Start, I'll yeah. start, and then I'll let, um, <laughs> and I'll let Sandy take it over. Um, we, when we, when Sandy was working for me, uh, with me early on, she has. She, now as your like fourth 16. employee, apparently, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we, um, she's incredibly talented. I know we're going to talk a little bit about how she just really led the way to our company exploding and um, growth and success. But she was—I knew she was very, very talented. So I, you know, I had total trust in her to handle things, and um, and I saw that she had a lot of ability in uh, sales and and client relations. So we. We traveled a lot to the Frankfurt Book Fair and, um, of course, Book Expo America and different things. And we just became very, very, very good friends and mm. um, the best of friends, really. And um, and uh, it was it was wonderful. And, um, 
you know, I was, um, she was friendly with my wife and I, obviously I knew her husband and, and it was just a, it was a really great friendship. And, um, where it, it, um, things changed it in 2013, my, my wife, uh, died of breast cancer mm. and the, mm. um, Sandy, I'll let you tell the story from there. So. <laughs> sure. In terms um, of what was, uh, what Franny said. Yes. Yes. So, um, which is Fanny's his, his late wife. So the, when, when, um, Dan's late wife was, was diagnosed, his kids were so young, I think two and maybe nine years old. And this, now <laughs> I'll get real personal here. The, the day that they got their really bad diagnosis that same day was the day that I found out that my husband of 20 years um, was having an affair with my best friend. Oh, and wow. The same and, and the movie exact, was on. <laughs> the and same there you exact go. day. Okay. Wow. So my mode of operation is to be busy. I need to be mm. busy. And mm-hmm. so at that moment, Dan needed to really take a step back from day to day and take care of his family. Mm-hmm. And I was happy to step up responsibility because I needed to be busy. And mm. so you know, so that, you know, that kept the company going. I felt a big responsibility for Dan and his family to keep his business going. And it was great for my personal mind as I need to be busy. So, um, so while my life was um, falling apart, so was his, but we, you know, kept a good friendship going through that. Um, so when his late wife was nearing her and days, she knew how much Dan respected me and I was his quote work wife and really put so much trust in me and the, and, and keeping things going so that they could really have, you know, as much quality time together as possible that um, she told him that she hoped someday that he would see me romantically. And that if so, that oh my gosh. she, <laughs> that Dan had her full blessing because she respected me as a mom and as a person and as someone who got Dan because he's kind of quirky. He's, well, you know. and, and she, I will say that she, um, <laughs> what, 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 uh, one of her, uh, her biggest concerns as a, you know, I'm sure any parent was the children. She wanted, if I was going yeah. to ever get remarried, she was, she was so scared that it would be somebody who wouldn't be good to the children. And she knew Sandy well enough to know that, she would be good for the children, good to, to my children. And so, yeah, she, she said, you know, if that could happen, um, okay, so I'm all for it. And this is when, you know, a week, a week before she passed away. Um, and mm, wow. so yeah. this is a so, hallmark. This is not a bad <laughs> sending me. This is a hallmark special. Hallmark. Yeah. It's a hallmark. Totally. Um, One like of you is writing winning. this, right? Yeah. You guys yeah. are writing this, yeah. right? Dan, you're and, the writer. And, 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 but uh, my, my wife also said, Franny, Francis was her name. Um, that, uh, it was just, she showed amazing grace and what she was dealing with. I don't know how she did it, but she said, don't, you know, she said, I don't want you to wait too long. I said, you know, you need to, uh, I don't want you to be lonely. And mm. she said, you know, if you're going to get remarried, all I ask is that you not, uh, wait one year, <laughs> she said. But uh, and other than that, she's like, don't don't let time go by. You know, she's saying that you know, obviously life is short. She was only 44. Um, and um, 
So I don't know how uh, much long it was. Uh, maybe eight, nine months later, we. Um, Our first it, date. I, I very, very, very awkwardly asked Sandy out to date, and it was the most bizarre experience because we go out to dinner and we know each other so well. We're best right, friends. Right, your friends. And here yeah. we are now in this romantic situation, potentially romantic situation, and I didn't know what the hell to do. I mean, like, how do you? What do you? You know, what yeah, do you say? Brought, How do I yeah, act? He brought, How do I he, act? Brought, he brought flowers and, um, you know. <laughs> Good, just yeah. Like, uh, yeah. So what do you yeah. do for work? Yeah, yeah right. So tell me about yourself. <laughs> and, you know, from, from, from my perspective, you know, I had two, not as young kids as, as Dan, but my, my kids were in middle school and early high school. And I couldn't imagine bringing a stranger in into our universe, our very protected universe. So yeah. it was a, a really easy um, transition in terms of trust because I, from day one, as I talked about Norman Edmund back in all those years, like I just knew how kind and generous he was to his clients and to our, our, our my colleagues, our team. And it just, you know, like little things about a person. He is one of the most generous tippers I've ever met. And, and he just, <laughs> just so appreciates the hard work of other people that, and kindness and humor and doesn't take himself too seriously. But, you know, a, an amazing work ethic and really, really cares about, you know, the, our clients and our work. So all that was um, a, a blast to be around and, and someone I wanted to invest you know, my energy and time and, 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 and professionally. So it was a really easy transition in terms of, I already know you and, and really respect and admire you. So, um, it, it was still really, really, really bizarre. The first bizarre. Time it was. It was bizarre. Yeah, and, and, we held and, it, we held hands. I felt like it was with my sister. It was really weird. Yeah, it was. So. It, was it took, it took a, a little transition there. Um, but now it sounds like now a real gift. Like you became, you know, life partners. You were already business partners, essentially. I mean, yeah. I know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We, like we had a, such tr trust in each other, and now we're mm -hmm. the Brady Bunch because I have two kids. He has two kids. We moved together. Mm -hmm. We didn't have an Alice, which was a big mistake, but we, <laughs> everyone you know, needs an Alice. Everyone needs an Alice, but that, that's, you know, essentially, you know, our, our story. And now we've been married for six years and um, we, we have a lot of fun. We, we laugh a lot and we've got, mm. of course, work at the core of, of what we do, but even outside of work and then there's always the book on how to work and i guess you guys could probably write that book too how do you work with your spouse and when how yeah. do you he's separate a night offices owl. yeah <laughs> no exactly i'm a night owl he i'm a he's a night owl i'm a very early morning person and he'd be talking about work at 11 o'clock at night and i'd be like stop i can't i can't do this and that's me so, yeah. yeah and and so like working out those kind of kinks was mm -hmm. a whole next chapter in our book but um, Sure. Uh, but it was a it was a really um, you know we, we we look back and we certainly had our share of you know tears as did our children, but mm -hmm. you know Dan uh, Dan's the one who reminds me that life is short, life is good. Count the bright hours. When we got married, I did not want to have a, a big wedding. I just want to do something quiet. And he said, "You need we need to." we need to celebrate the good things and find excuses to celebrate because life is too short, which of course he knew more firsthand. 
Um, he lost he lost a baby. He lost his dad. He lost two brothers at a very mm. you know at, at a young age. He, he then said more loss than anybody that I know in kind of modern life. And so his philosophy just lightened me so much, whether at work mm. and at home. And this is probably more than you wanted to hear, but that's no, that's it's our, lovely. That's it's our, really that's lovely. our that's our truth. And and he kind of reminds me to. Um, take a walk in the middle of the day and where I'm like, no, my to-do list. So it's a... <laughs> He's like, forget it. Forget the to-do it, list. Exactly, exactly. And that's important. So we're... So we're yeah, it is very important. And so he... he so we are... Um, for what life has given us, I think we're, we're pretty, pretty darn blessed and pretty darn happy. So... That's awesome. So, yeah. Well, that, you know, that to me, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, when I... <laughs> When I work with Smith Publicity, whether I'm working with you, Sandy, or, um, you know, your amazing team, which is now, gosh, how many people do you have on your team now? Is it 35? Oh, it's it's 27. not quite, 20, 27. 27. Yeah. Mm. Well, that doesn't count interns. We have a few interns now. We have okay. a wonderful internship program. So maybe up there in the 30s, but, but for our main staff, yeah, they're in the high 20s. Well, and everyone I've ever worked with has such heart and, you know, such a passion for what they do. It really comes through loud and clear. In fact, I'd like to give a shout out to both Corinne Mulder and Marissa oh. Eigenbrut. Both of those ladies are just amazing. And they're just, they're <laughs> exceptionally talented. They're warm. They're smart, you know. And I've always had so much fun in collaborating with Smith. I, I'm curious about you know, how you hire your team, you know, is there a, just a philosophy that either of you have, maybe you drive that, Dan, uh, you know, how, how do you decide who's right for the Smith team? It's, 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 it's hard because, you know, I, being a publicist is, I think it's on list as one of the most stressful jobs. Because um, mm, so. Yeah. I mean, publicity never sleeps. It never ends. It, and, and it's, it's a out of really, your control. Exactly. Yeah. It's out of your and control. It, you can't you guarantee success. You can do everything success. right. You can yeah. do everything so, right. So you, you always see firefighters, um, military, police, and publicists. Great. So yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've looked at it through the years. I try to find young talent. And then also I would find um, people like, like Sandy who had entered the workforce at, after um, you know raising her kids. I, I tried to find that balance. And you know, certainly it doesn't work out for everybody we've hired, but the team we have now, it's it's amazing. I think um, most of the team has been with us a minimum of like eight years. And um, and that's, it, I don't think you see that, that often in a small company. Uh, we've, you know, Sandy, 15 years, Aaron Birnbaum, 18 years, and, you know, Marissa, 10 years, and Corinne, 12. And throughout, uh, we have people who stay with us, which is awesome. Um, and, uh, um, it, so it's certainly it, what I, I just, I try to look for someone with personality myself and someone yeah. who I think can, um, can think on their feet and be creative. Um, and it's hard to tell. I mean, that's why not everybody works out, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's very hard to know when someone's going to work out what you mentioned Corinne and, and I love Corinne. She's awesome. And Corinne started off as my as my secretary, you know, right out of college, right out of mm. your sinus <laughs> college here. She's, she was this kid and I hired her and, um, literally I still think of her as a kid. It's funny. And, um, and now she's, you know, vice president and, and, and does amazing work, but she started off at like 10 hours a week, just helping me, 
you know, file, file things away essentially. And, but then, you know, I saw talent in her and mm-hmm. then uh, was able to, over the years with, with Sandy, we groom her to um, be the amazing uh, person she is. So and now, um, and now we're learning from Corinne because and the same thing with Marissa, she came to us at probably at 23 years old. And now yeah. she she's our vice president and we're really positioning her to and with Corinne and Mike Honorado to really take take us to the next level. And so, again, we're we're now learning from from them and letting them take a lot of the decisions. And as Dan said, it's heart. And it's also we I tell people this is not a, a job where you have a checklist. You can't just do A, B, and C and expect that to be the end of your day. Um, mm-hmm. It has to be someone who really wants to um, report good things. We have our publicists send out weekly written updates for results. That puts an enormous pressure on them, and we we did it. We know it. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, that's what needs to happen um, to move the needle forward for, for our authors. So that they have, so, so someone who's going to work under that kind, thrive under that kind of, let's get the, let's get her done. That's a, that's a big quote we hear at work from, from Janet Shapiro, our director, get her done. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that energy, that enthusiasm, because if you think, well, I sent out this pitch, nothing happened. Oh, well, that person's not going to last long and, and with us because, oh, well, is not good enough. People are paying us a lot of mm-hmm. money. You know, this is not an IBM where there's, you know, kind of, you know, just unlimited funds. When I would say probably 60% of our clients are author funded, maybe 40% are publisher funded. But these author funds, this is very personal money to these people, even if it's their company, even if it's their company paying for it, it's still like Mm -hmm. their company. Typically, you know, the, the, the CEO writes a book. And we take that seriously. And so, so if someone's paying you, you know, this, what can be, you know, thousands of dollars a month, we need to show that we're earning that money. And we do have to show that every week. So someone who is not is going to be like, well, I did my best. Oh, well, is not going to to cut it. They're here. not going to make it. Yeah, no. And you can do your best and, and not do it. But you have to say, okay, this is what we're doing next. And you own it, you're transparent. And we have here's plan B, and they're ready to jump in with it and have to build that trust. Because not every week is going to be successful. And that's mm. just reality. And a very interesting fact, um, if you peruse our website and look at the staff, um, the vast, vast, vast majority of people who ever worked with me are women. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have we stole Mike Adorado from Wiley a couple of years ago, and a terrific, <laughs> he was a client. A terrific. Yeah, oh, was he? Yeah, he's great. Yeah. I love Mike. Yeah, Mike yeah. is awesome, and, and he's another reason. So smart. That we yeah. continue to to go, but before him, the, the men we handled did hired didn't work out, um, and I don't know why. Over the years, I would somebody a guy would be on the phone with me saying. You know, well, I, I see what you're doing. It's you and, you know, 18 women. Huh? Ha, ha, ha. I'm like, I'm not doing this on purpose. I said, I'm right. just, you know, and then people think, like, sometimes they thought I was doing it on purpose. Like, no. I was like, I, I don't know why, but, and Sandy can confirm that most book publicist applications, mo- most of the vast majority come from women. Wouldn't you say that's true, Sandy? Oh, yeah. I'd say 95% of our applicants. And I don't know why. I don't, I, I don't know why. It's hmm. book publicity is... A really, a, in many ways, a female-dominated uh, field, um, whereas maybe corporate PR is more male. I don't know. 
It's fascinating, though. But um, well, that, that may go too with just people who are interested in publishing in general. I know that you know the vast majority of book buyers are women, so maybe kind of like me, um, a lot of no one goes to school to be a book publicist, right? They they there's we are right, publicists exactly. come from <laughs> you know they were journalists, they were on air producers, um, you know they were they came from the, the editorial and in, in the publishing world, but. Um, book publicity isn't a college major, so you kind of find this path typically because of a passion of books. Mm-hmm. So, and and mm-hmm. I think that not that men don't like books by any stretch, but it's it's just a great. Well, most women are book buyers for the most part. Exactly, the book buyers. Exactly. And, exactly. And and to something that we have prided ourselves long before COVID is a flexible work schedule and work environment. We have a lot of moms on our staff, and we always have and encourage work from home. And one of the things I liked about working for Dan, and this is back in two thousand five when this was unheard of in the corporate world, is. I was a publicist. I was working from home. And he would say, oh, let's have our meeting at three. And I would say, oh, can we do it at one or two or four? Because at three, I have a PTO meeting. And mm. I never had to hide that I was a mom and that I had mom duties. Yeah. And he'd yeah. be like, yeah, that's fine. Because his late wife was a teacher. So he was a stay at home dad on duty with a flexible job when he would go in for the poetry reading at school or when the child was sick he was the one that was you know the parent at home so we um really were very very family friendly company and so that was appealing to moms Mm. who were looking to either um take a step back from a nine to five corporate job or re-enter the workforce after maybe being at home with, with little ones for a few years. And that was, you know, something that we were so way ahead of like, obviously today and working from home, we've, we've been a work at home company for, you know, uh, 5, 15, 18 years, um, we ha- we do have an office and we do come in um, three days a week, but there are probably 60% of our people, they work all over the country. And that allows us to really draw the best talent. And we probably have, in the office, we probably have 12 people, maybe I guess? Yeah, 12 people. Um, um, are and, you... And, and we- and well, we've well, always had not that. Not now, but I was going to no, say, are you all working from home now with COVID nineteen? I imagine this yeah, allowed you to are, pivot. Except for except except for our amazing office manager Bella Asher and our mailroom uh, coordinator Linda, they are in the office. But other than that, yeah, we're still mm-hmm. working from home. We're still trying to figure out when we can go back because we, you know, I we miss it. You know, this um, sure that collaboration working from home right? is great, but you know, it's getting old now. Like I, I want to. You know, even if I was just going to the office two days a week, or uh, usually, or three three days at most, I miss it. You know, and I miss I'm I'm sick of Zoom meetings. I'm sick of just, you know, the genuine human interaction. You know, right, I miss. Right. But anyway, yeah. so we, it's always been structured with um, is uh, not never been a full Monday through Friday someone in the office job. I always, for whatever reason, structured it like three three days a week and two days at home. Well, we, we well, do look for that person with heart, and and sometimes those moms come in with heart, or you know, women who love books, and it's been it's been a, an interesting journey to see how the people who have worked out work out with us. Yeah, yeah. Well, it shows. Um, 
gosh, there's so many questions I want to ask you guys, but we're, we're coming up on our hour. So I, I want to be respectful of your time. Can you tell us how you have managed COVID-19? Um, not just with, you know, your office and your staff, sure. but how you're managing, you know, just, yeah. How is that working for you? Oh my I, goodness. I, I, I get super, I get super angry. So Sandy, please take this one. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it, it, it just, it's it, as a small business owner, it, it's, it's been a tough year. Um, so when it all happened, we had to pivot. That's the, our word of the year it was pivot um, mm-hmm. and try to find the right types of opportunities for our clients, keep them, um, their investment with us being meaningful. Um, virtual opportunities were huge. Um, we, ha- we work with a lot of speakers who have lost their, um, their gigs. So we really worked with them on strategies to find virtual events, to become virtual speakers, um, to look into webinars. So we were kind of looking at non-media support for these people um, so that really we become part of their company. And so again, this is for that nonfiction expert, um, really th- pivoting to okay, what what is your what is your challenge today? What where 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 do you, what do you need help? And then pulling in different kinds of resources for them. For the fiction author, it actually was a we had a good year because people were more interested in the early days of COVID before we hit more of the election timing. Um, yeah, people, yeah. The, the, that's happening the, too. The, Good lord! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's that's that, that's the challenge of today. Is mm-hmm. the you know the fiction authors, the fiction bloggers, the Instagrammers, the bookstagrammers. That there was more time that people were having more time for reading. So our fiction, um, you know, authors were doing exceedingly well. And for the as we're hitting the election season, it's tough. And we're very transparent with our clients. It's taking us, you know, three, four, five times longer to secure the kind of coverage that we're really proud to deliver. So again, our publicists are are really stretched and, and being challenged creatively because the media is just saturated with, um, you know, the distractions of the election, the distractions of, you know, COVID and, and what's happening. And, and you, you just don't know what's happening the, the, the next week. And we have to be ready to make our right. authors interesting to the media for what they need that week. And before we, I would say, we, would, we don't know what we're going to be pitching in three months from now. And now I say, we don't know what we're going to be pitching next week. Or even and tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we yeah. need our authors to collaborate with us and, and work even more closely with us than before mm. be, for, those, for those opportunities. The opportunities the are, are out there, but we mm-hmm. need to be faster. We need to be more on top of the news stories <clears throat> than ever before and, um, and, and helping our clients understand the media landscape today as we're learning it and then immediately sharing it with them. So right. that's, that's how we're, and, and, and now we're, we have a really busy fall. We're at 100% capacity, which is, we're, again, we're so, so fortunate. And part of that is because a lot of the people paused their launches in the spring and the summer and, and thought fall was going to be a good time. And, right. and, you know, in the press, you know, it's, oh, it, boy. 
the challenge yeah. is there's only so many books that people can cover and, and say mm-hmm. in terms of like a book review. So there's a, a big bubble right now. Um, so any, now I just love talking to authors who now said, yeah, I'm just pausing till 2021 with my launch. I'm like, yes, because <laughs> just the, like from the distribution, the printing presses that are all far sure, behind. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the bubble of the election will be hopefully, you know, onto other topics um, and maybe it will be closer to the other side of COVID in terms of, um, you know, a vaccine and a real positive, um, you know, look to 2021. Um, that's 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 great. We're looking to for 2021 to be um, hopefully a, a very, very positive year. That said, 2020 was better than we ever hoped that it would be when we look at our conversations back in late March, early April, like what Mm -hmm. is going to happen. Um, We were very fortunate with our hardworking team that we were able to keep getting meaningful coverage. It hasn't been easy, though. Yeah, you've stayed above the fray. But I think, Uh you know, that just speaks to the fact that you do put your heart into it and you are looking outside the box. You know, you've never come at this from the perspective of traditional publicity. And that has served you and your clients well. I think 2021 is going to be good. I'm very (laughs) hopeful. I'm looking forward to 2020 being behind us. And I don't think we're going to be through COVID. But I do think that you know, you said pivot, Sandy, and we are, yeah. we're, we're all pivoting in the publishing industry from, you know, self-published and indie authors to traditional because mm-hmm. we have to, but I think it's important. You know, I think we're ushering into a new era that's going to be really good for us, you know, um, embracing technology and showing up to a Zoom meeting and being able mm-hmm. to appear at a book event across the country or across the world, you know, right. um, I think all of that is, is good in the long run, though might feel painful now. Especially those book events for the fiction authors. Mm. I, we had an author in, mm-hmm. in England who was able to draw so many different people to his event than he ever could in person. So I Accessibility, think Accessibility, right? Oh, yeah. there's going to be such great things that stay with us long after. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Is, when life is, quote, back to normal, maybe. <laughs> and the next year, right. maybe. <laughs> right. Well, Dan and Sandy, thank you so much for chatting with us today. This has been awesome. Uh, I respect both of you very much and the oh. work you do. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming in. Do you have any any final words for our listeners? Well, I think that um, Monkey Sea Media is pretty darn awesome. And we <laughs> love, well, love, love when our authors um, come using you and your it, – it, it makes our job and our life so much easier when they've got an, a pretty amazing online brand that we can showcase because that's the first mm. thing they do. So thank you for everything that you've done for our many, many um, lucky authors that have had the opportunity to work work with you and your team. Aww. So, so thank you for that. that. And we missed you at uh, some events this year in person, but um, maybe in the future we can yeah. you know, yeah. catch up and have a drink again. Absolutely. Yeah, we try and have our our annual um, cocktail in New York at, at yes. BEA yeah. next exactly. year. And, exactly. And um, yeah, I just uh, want to thank you for having us on. This has been a lot of yes. fun. Thank yeah, you. thank you. 
All right, dear listener, you can learn more about Smith Publicity and their services at smithpublicity.com. Be sure to subscribe to their newsletter. It's jam-packed full of amazing marketing information. They have lots of guest bloggers, and I'm one of them. Also, follow them on social and check out their podcast. It's the Book Marketing Podcast with Mike Honorado. All of this, again, can be found at their website, smithpublicity.com. This has been another episode of The Premise. Visit us online at thepremisepod.com and follow us on Twitter at podpremise and subscribe and rate wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, be safe and take good care. Thanks for listening. And wear a damn mask. Exactly. Are you an author with a story to tell, but you're just not sure how to get that story out? Guess what? You don't have to do it alone. Marnie Friedman is an incredible writing coach. She offers personalized support and expertise to guide you from a kernel of an idea to completion. Visit MarniFriedman.com to learn more. That's M-A-R-N-I-F-R-E-E-D-M-A-N.com. This episode is brought to you by Monkey See Media, a small boutique design firm offering award-winning websites, book cover designs, book trailers, and photography services. And full disclosure, we love what we do. Chad and I founded Monkey See Media in 2004, and we're still going strong. Visit monkeycmedia.com. That's M-O-N-K-E-Y, the letter C, media.com to see how we can help you promote your book, build a powerful online presence. Mm-hmm. What else you got, Chad? Uh, let's see. We've got the San Diego Writer Festival. San Diego Writers Festival. There are many writers. (laughs) And they're a proud sponsor of our Premise Podcast as well. 